The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Chapter 10, verses 8 through 20 this afternoon, so I invite you to turn there now with me. Ecclesiastes 10, verses 8 through 20. This will be our passage this afternoon. Let's now hear the Word of God. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and the serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. This concludes the reading of God's word. May he now be pleased to add his blessing to it. Have you ever known somebody that made a huge difference in your life? You know, sometimes you'll hear spouses talk on their anniversary, especially those who have been married a number of years, and they'll say, I don't know how I would have made it through life without my spouse. They make all the difference in the world. Or adult children will realize that they really could not make it without their parents. Of course, they realize it as adults. Uh, perhaps uh, their parents were out of the picture, but it was a grandparent who raised them. And they said, I don't know where I would have been without this grandparent. Or maybe it's a friend who stood by your side during a particularly difficult time, and you would not have made it through without that friend or particular co-worker, or team player, without whom you would not have accomplished the team's goals or whatever was meant to be accomplished. In any case, that one person made all the difference in the world. And this is the way it is with wisdom. Wisdom makes all the difference in the world. And that is Solomon's point in this passage as he's contrasting wisdom with foolishness. However, it doesn't make the world different. This reveals wisdom's shortcoming in this vain life and the need for a greater wisdom, for wisdom incarnate to not only be all the difference in the world, but to bring us 
to a different world. Life above or beyond under the sun. So we're going to see three areas in which wisdom makes all the difference. First, work. Second, words. And third, authority. So first, work. Verses 8-9. through nine. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If you notice, all of these are accidents on the job. There are four mentioned here. First is the one who digs a pit. This is likely referring to somebody who's hunting. How they hunted back then, they would dig a pit, they would put a net over this pit, they'd put some bait on the net, animal would come, fall in, and then the hunter would come and shoot the animal with the bow and arrow. However, there's a risk that he could accidentally fall into it. Maybe he forgot where it was, maybe in the process of digging he gets out and then he falls back into it. Accidents happen. Second is a serpent who bites someone who breaks through a wall. Now during this time, walls were made out of stone and then they were murdered together by mud. And you can imagine that eventually that's going to start to sink, it's going to decay. You're going to have holes that develop in the wall and the wall would have to be reset. And so what they would do is they would break down the wall. In the process of breaking down the wall, they would reach in and they could be bitten by a snake because poisonous snakes were a huge problem back in Israel. And where they like to nest is behind these walls. And so reaching in, you could be bit. And back then, they didn't have anti-venom medication at the local hospital, so they were pretty much toast if they were bitten. Third is a person who quarries stones. You know, these stones are out in these places, and the ground's uneven, and you're breaking through one, and one can roll over you. A number of accidents can happen. And fourth is a person who splits logs. A number of dangers can happen with working with timber. A tree branch falls. A, a log rolls over you. Now, I, have, I have a friend who still has a pretty gnarly scar on his forehead from splitting logs for his uh, wood-burning stove. Uh, one day he, he split one with a maul, and a piece went right into uh, his forehead. Accidents happen. Now, if you notice, these are not inherently foolish. They're all work-related accidents. Nevertheless, even in these good endeavors, accidents can happen. But why does Solomon bring all this up? Well, Solomon is revealing that wisdom makes a difference even here. As we're going to see in verses 10 through 11, wisdom does help with these things. Solomon is revealing that wisdom makes a difference even in these things because while complete accidents really can happen, a lot of accidents happen by not being wise enough or not being careful, being careless. The man who dug a pit forgot where it was and stepped into it. He could have put some markers on. person digging through a wall should be mindful that snakes do exist in these and using a tool of some sort to not reach in with his own hand but with the tool and therefore he can charm the snake. You know, I was uh, ministering in Montana and I got a phone call one afternoon uh, from uh, a lady in the church, and uh, they were a young couple, and she told me that uh, her husband was being life-flighted to the hospital because he was in a significant uh, accident while snowmobiling in the high country. What he did was uh, he got off the snowmobile, and there was the edge of uh, this cliff, this mountain, and he wanted to look over it. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Well, he looked over it. He was trying to be careful. 
but the whole thing collapsed. And that's because the whole thing was one big snowdrift that he just didn't realize. And so he tumbled about a thousand feet uh, down this cliff, this avalanche, and he ended up with several broken ribs, a broken wrist, and a punctured uh, lung, a cracked spleen. So he almost died. And we were visiting him in the hospital, me and my co-elder at the time, and uh, my co-elder was an experienced uh, outdoorsman, and uh, so was this young man. Uh, he grew up in the, in the mountains, but he said, how would I have known that this cornice was just one big, uh, one big snowdrift? And my co-elder said, well, what you do is you take a log, a branch, or a stone, something heavy, and you throw it at the edge, and if it falls through, then you know it's one big snowdrift. And it's things like that. That's, that's a little bit of wisdom. Even that's wisdom that makes all the difference. And I think that illustrates what Solomon's saying here. Because he goes on to say in verses 10 through 11, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. They're saying, look, these accidents happen, but they can be prevented. The iron is sharpened. Uh, if it's not sharpened, it requires more strength. And the more strength you use, the more potential there is for an accident. You know, I used to sell those uh, Cutco knives. and I, That was years ago, and I was a terrible salesman. I mean, the knives practically sell themselves, but I'd find a way to, to not sell them. Anyway, one of the selling points was that uh, they're the sharpest knives that very easily cut. And people would respond, well, if they're really sharp, then aren't they going to cut you? And we would say, no, actually, dull knives, and this is true, dull knives are actually uh, what are more dangerous because you have to use more uh, effort and you become less careful and you can end up cutting yourself versus having a sharper knife. And, and Solomon is saying that with an axe here. Sharpen it. Think through what is most advantage so as to do less work than necessary, and limit hazards. And if you don't first charm a snake before removing it, it ends up biting you, and therefore it's no advantage. What Solomon's point in all of this is right in the middle of this, which is the end of verse 10, wisdom helps one to succeed, or better translated, wisdom is an advantage. Solomon is, is saying that even an honest Everyday endeavors, wisdom has an advantage. But of course, we're going to see there's still a limit in this world. A second area in which wisdom makes all the difference is words. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Now, this verse is actually difficult to translate because literally from the Hebrew, it says, the words of the mouth of the wise grace. What does that mean? Well, it can mean one of two things. It can mean either his words win him favor in the sight of others because the word grace can be translated as favor. That's the option the ESV chooses. The NAS has words from, his mouth, words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious. It can mean that too. Either interpretation is possible. If it's referring to his words winning him favor, it's referring to a man whose words are valuable, and people want to hear him, and people want to be around him. It could also refer to his words being gracious. You know, a gracious person uh, overlooks an insult, and 
overlooks many sins that stem from immaturity. Someone who's just immature and they say weird things and they say harsh things and they say rude things. So you know what? This person's just immature and needs to grow. I can overlook that. I don't need to confront that person. You know, he or she is not a legalist who is quick to confront and point out every possible thing that this person says or does wrong. He or she knows how to correct gently, kindly, and with the person's best interests at heart. To win the person and not the argument. They are also generous in their kind words. You know, when we think of generosity, we tend to think of giving material things. And of course, that's included. But also, we should be that way with our speech. Uh, I think a legalist who is under the burden of the law just wants to put others under the law. Just only points out fault. Is very critical. Ends up putting burdens on people and constantly pointing out their faults and, and being critical rather than carefully choosing when to correct and to do so in a gracious manner. And also, a person who is not gracious is very stingy with their kind words. Ah, oh, that person hasn't earned it yet. That person needs to be much more righteous and like me before I'll ever say anything kind to that person and encourage them. The gracious person is the opposite. They are generous in their gracious comments. The fool is the opposite. His words consume him. His words eat away at his life. They bring hardship and consequences upon him because of his speech. It gets him in trouble. And we see why in the next verses, in verse 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. So we see what he's saying here. Beginning and end. From beginning to end, it's all foolishness. And they also are very boastful. Look at verse 14. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. So that this verse says, though no man knows what is to be, in the context of multiplying his words, suggests that he keeps talking about things about which he knows nothing. Specifically the future. He makes great boasts about what he will accomplish and do. Uh, He tells you, if you just do what I think, then it's all going to work out for you. Uh, And if you challenge him in this, he'll just double down and multiply his words because he has a lot of confidence in himself. One philosopher once said, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they have to say something. But because he is too busy speaking, he never takes time to listen and so misses out on learning even common knowledge. Verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Now back then, everyone knows the way to the city. If you didn't know a way to some small, obscure town, that's understandable. But the way to the city, everybody knows the way to the city, but the fool doesn't. But rather than the fool trying to, rather than the fool learning and asking, Others for directions? I mean, this isn't this a common man thing? No, I'll figure it out. Of course, we have GPS now. But rather than asking, he just wearies himself in trying to do it on his own. Uh, he ends up working more because he's not wise, because he's not humble. He doesn't learn. We see just how much of a difference wisdom can make as it pertains to one's words. 
A third area in which wisdom makes all the difference pertains to authority. Now, because people have had really bad experiences with authority, and uh, because there's bad authority, people end up thinking that all authority is bad and submitting to any authority is bad. However, we see that it is not authority itself or submitting to authority that makes the difference, but rather whether or not that person in authority has wisdom or is foolish. But it, became, but it can be quite bad if the authority is foolish. It comes with the woe, the greatest expression of distress and judgment. Look at verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Now, child here doesn't mean literal child, although it can mean that. But likely what it means here is that this person is childish, childlike. Person's immature and irresponsible like a child, but it's an authority. And so they feast in the morning. Feasting is not what you did in the morning. This does not refer to a hearty breakfast. This refers to a drunken celebration first thing in the morning. That it's happening in the morning shows just how irresponsible they are, how much given over to self-indulgence they are. But the opposite is a great blessing. Verse 17. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength, not for drunkenness. So when the king is noble and the princes do what is right, when they feast at the proper time, rare occasions for celebrations, and they do so not for drunkenness, for self-indulgence, but for strength, in order to strengthen themselves to serve the people. That is a tremendous blessing to the people, even eating for the good of the people to have strength to serve them. And this is not the case with fools. Not only are they gluttonous, self-indulgent, and drunkards, they're also lazy. Look at verse 18. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Anyone who has ever owned anything knows that things tend towards decay, especially a house. You need to work to upkeep it. But because of laziness, if you don't work to keep it up, it's just going to fall apart. It's like the house of the sluggard Solomon speaks of in Proverbs, where things are overgrown and the wall has crumbled down. And this is in the context of Rulers who do not do their due diligence in keeping up on their duties and exercise authority for the good of the people. So things are decaying. Things are falling apart. Uh, the roof is leaking. The roof sinks in. And they have a song to go with this, though. Verse 19. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Now, this is kind of difficult to understand what this means, but some commentators and scholars believe that this is a song that drunkards would sing uh, at their drunken parties. There's a kernel of truth in this. Uh, wine is given by God to gladden the heart, Psalm 104.15, and you need money to do practically anything, so it answers a lot uh, of problems. But this seems to be in the context of these self-indulgent leaders who are abusing these things rather than enjoying them within their proper boundaries. But how should we respond to these foolish leaders? Well, look at verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not 
curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry, will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. So we are to never curse anyone in authority. And curse means to wish them harm. Ask God to damn them. And Exodus 22.28 says, You shall not curse a ruler of your people. We need to be careful of this uh, in America. Now, thankfully, we have freedom of speech, but we should never sin with our mouth because we won't be punished by the government. Uh, we may criticize and point out faults. We may show disapproval for wickedness. We may call and write our elected officials and express our disapproval and tell them to turn from wicked ways. But we do not wish harm. We pray for them, and we ask God to be merciful to them and even bring them salvation. But in the ancient Near East, you could be killed for speaking against a ruler. And so Solomon says, don't even do it in the most secret of places, in your thoughts and in your bedroom. Why? Because some bird's going to take it. And they're going to hear it. Now, this is obviously not literal, but figurative. We, we have the same expression in our day, don't we? A little birdie told me. And what this is referring to is really this rapid and unexpected uh, dissemination of our thoughts spoken in secret. And that's because our thoughts in our heart usually don't stay there. They leak out at some point. Before you know it, Many will know, and you end up facing consequences. So Solomon is saying, especially in this day, don't even think about it, don't dwell on it, and dwell on things that are noble, pure, and good. So that's wisdom. But of course, that wisdom, while it makes a difference, doesn't make the world different. And this is why, thanks be to God, we who believe have been truly blessed as being a member of the land whose king is righteous and loving and wisdom itself. Solomon says here, Blessed are you, O land, whose king is a son of nobility. Well, our king is the son of the greatest nobility, of the majesty on high. He is the one who is eternally begotten of the Father, the radiance of His glory, being His very image and the exact imprint of His nature. And this King of glory never lived in any self-indulgence, never sinned, but rather emptied Himself by taking on to Himself a human nature in order to become our slave, coming not to be served, but to serve and to give Himself as a ransom for many. He is the one that lived a perfect life of righteousness to provide us with all the righteousness we need to get to heaven and pouring His life out unto death for our sins to bear the wrath of God. And He will feast at the proper time, not drinking from the fruit of the vine anew until the consummated kingdom where we will be seated with Him to dine with Him. There is truly 
no king like this king. The king who laid down his life for us. The king who loves us. And the king on whose lips, as Psalm 45, 2 says, grace has been outpoured. So woe to the one whose king is the prince of darkness, who cares nothing for you but wants to keep you in slavery to sin and to guilt and to death. But blessed are you whose king is the king of kings, who loves you, who gave himself for you that you may forever live and may be forever blessed in his land. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we realize that we have good wisdom here, but this wisdom doesn't ultimately bring us out of this world and into the new world. And so we wait for the King of Kings to return, to bring us out of this world and into that different world. And we thank you for his perfect wisdom, for wisdom incarnate. We thank you that he, by his great wisdom, has forever delivered us from this vain world where we may live with Him forever. Thank You that He is not like these wicked rulers, but that He took our place, we who are wicked, that we may forever live. Indeed, there is no God like You. There is no King like You. Help us to remember this, to believe it, so that we may live for You, that we may be so moved by Your love that we are willing to die to self and live for Him. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.